0: Hello, and welcome to Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality, the podcast. Written by Eliezer Yudkowsky, read by Ineash Brodsky, based on the works of J.K. Rowling. We got a short chapter this week, so I'm opening with a few notes. First, congratulations to Toasted Cake, winner of the 2012 Best New Speculative Fiction Podcaster Slash Team Parsec Award. Second... This story spreads by blogging, tweeting, word of mouth, favoriting, plugging on forums, and adding to lists. And remember, if the readers and listeners before you hadn't taken a moment to do that, you probably wouldn't have found this. If that's not enough to motivate you, then remember.
1: If you don't help spread rationality, Hermione will be sad. You don't want her to be sad, right?
0: Chapter 66. Self-Actualization. Part 1. Hesitation is always easy, rarely useful. So the defense professor had told him, and while you could quibble about the details of the proverb, Harry understood the weaknesses of Ravenclaw's well enough to know that you had to try answering your own quibbles. Did some plans call for waiting? Yes, many plans called for delayed action, but that was not the same as hesitating to choose. Not delaying because you knew the right moment to do what was necessary, but delaying because you couldn't make up your mind. There was no cunning plan which called for that. Did you sometimes need more information to choose? Yes, but that could also turn into an excuse for delaying. And it would be tempting to delay when you were faced with a choice between two painful alternatives. And not choosing would avoid the mental pain for a time. So you would pick a piece of information you couldn't easily obtain and claim that you couldn't possibly decide without it. That would be your excuse. Although if you knew what information you needed, knew when and how you would obtain that information, and knew what you would do depending on each possible observation, then that was less suspicious as an excuse for hesitating. If you weren't just hesitating, you ought to be able to choose in advance what you would do once you had the extra information you claimed you needed. If the Dark Lord were really out there, would it be smart to go along with Professor Quirrell's plan to have someone impersonate the Dark Lord? No. Definitely no. Absolutely not. And if Harry knew for a fact that the Dark Lord wasn't really out there... In that case... The defense professor's office was a small room, at least today. It had changed since the last time Harry had seen it, the stone of the room becoming darker, more polished. Behind the defense professor's desk stood the single empty bookcase that always decorated the room, a tall bookcase stretching almost from the floor to the ceiling with seven empty wooden shelves. "'Harry had only once seen Professor Quirrell take a book from those empty shelves "'and never seen him put a book back. "'The green snake swayed above the seat of the chair "'behind the defense professor's desk, "'the lidless eyes staring unblinking at Harry from close to his own eye level. "'They were warded now by twenty-two spells, "'all that could be cast within Hogwarts without attracting the headmaster's attention. "'No!' hissed Harry. The green snake cocked its head, tilting it slightly. No emotion was conveyed by the gesture, not that Harry's parcel-mouthed talent conveyed to him. Reason not, said the green snake. Too risky, Harry said simply. That was true whether or not the Dark Lord was out there. Forcing himself to decide in advance had made him realize that he'd just been using the unanswered question as an excuse to hesitate. The same decision was the same either way. For a moment, the dark-pitted eyes seemed to gleam blackly. For a moment, the scaled mouth gaped to expose the fangs. Think you have learned wrong lesson, boy, from previous failure. My plans are not in habit of failing, and last one would have gone flawlessly, but for your own foolishness. Correct lesson is to follow steps. Laid down for you by older and wiser Slytherin. Tame your wild impulses. Lesson I learned is not to try plots that would make girl-child friend think I am evil or boy-child friend think I am stupid. Harry snapped back. He'd been planning a more temporizing response than that, but somehow the words had just slipped out. The sound that came from the snake was not heard by Harry as words, only as pure fury. A moment later, you told them. Of course not, but know what they would say. There was a long pause as the snake head swayed, staring at Harry. Again, no detectable emotion came through, and Harry wondered what Professor Quirrell could be thinking that would take Professor Quirrell that long to think. You seriously care what those two think? Came the snake's final hiss. True younglings, those two are not like you. Could not weigh adult matters. Might have done better than me. Boy-child friend would have asked after secret motives before assenting to rescue woman. Glad you understand that now, the snake hissed coldly. Always ask after others' advantage. Next, learn to always ask after your own. If my plan is not to your taste, what is yours? If necessary, stay at school six years and study. Hogwarts seems fine place to dwell. Books, friends... Strange but tasty food. Harry wanted to chuckle, but there wasn't any gesture in Parseltongue for the kind of laughter he wanted to express. The pits of the snake's eyes seemed almost black. Easy to say now. Such as you and I, we do not tolerate imprisonment. You will lose patience long before seventh year. Perhaps, before end of this one, I shall plan accordingly. And before Harry could hiss another word of Parseltongue, the human shape of Professor Quirrell was sitting in his chair once more. So, Mr. Potter, said the defense professor, his voice as calm as if they had been discussing nothing important, as if the whole conversation had not occurred at all. I hear that you have begun to practice dueling, not the worthless sort with rules, I hope. Hannah Abbott looked as unnerved as Hermione had ever seen her, except on the day of the phoenix, the day Bellatrix Black had escaped, which shouldn't ought to count for anyone. The Hufflepuff girl had come over to the Ravenclaw table during dinner and tapped Hermione on the shoulder and very nearly dragged her away.
1: Neville and Harry Potter are learning dueling from Mr. Diggory!
0: Hannah blurted as soon as they were a few steps away from the table. Who? said Hermione.
1: Cedric Diggory. He's the captain of our Quidditch team and general of an army, and he's taking all the electives and getting better grades than anyone, and I hear he learns dueling from professional tutors during the summers, and he wants beat be two seventh-year students, and even some teachers call him the Super Hufflepuff. And Professor Sprout says that we should all emu- um, um, emu him, or something like that. And-
0: After Hannah finally stopped for air- The list had gone on for a while. Hermione managed to insert a word in edgewise.
1: "'Sunshine Soldier Abbott, calm down. We're not going to be fighting General Diggory, right? Sure, Neville's studying to beat us, but we can study too.' "'Don't you see?'
0: Hannah shrieked, raising her voice a lot louder than it should have been if they were trying to keep the conversation private from all the Ravenclaws looking at them.
1: "'Neville isn't studying to beat us!' He's practicing so he can fight Bellatrix Black. They're going to go through us like bludgers through a stack of pancakes.
0: The Sunshine General gave her soldier a look. Listen, said Hermione.
1: I don't think a few weeks of practice is going to make anyone an invincible fighter. Plus, we already know how to handle invincible fighters. We'll concentrate fire on them and we'll go down just like Draco.
0: The Hufflepuff girl was looking at her with mixed admiration and skepticism.
1: Aren't you even, you know, worried? Oh, honestly,
0: said Hermione. Sometimes it was hard being the only sensible person in your whole school year.
1: Haven't you ever heard the saying, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself? What? That's crazy. What about Lethifold's lurking in the darkness and being put under the Imperius Curse? and horrible transfiguration accidents, and... I mean...
0: said Hermione, exasperation leaking out into her now-raised voice. She'd been hearing this sort of thing all week now.
1: How about if we wait until after the Chaos Legion actually crushes us to get so scared of them, and did you just mutter Gryffindors under your voice?
0: A few moments later, Hermione was walking back to her place at the table with a sweet smile plastered on her young face. It wasn't the terrible cold glare of Harry's dark side, but it was the scariest face she knew how to make. Harry Potter was going down. This is learning, gasped Neville with what tiny amount of breath he could spare from being completely out of breath. This is brilliant, said Cedric Diggory. The eyes of the Super Hufflepuff gleamed with manic enthusiasm, shining like the sweat on his forehead as he stamped his feet through the dance of one of his dueling postures. His usually light steps had changed to heavier stomps, which might have had something to do with the transfigured metal weights they'd all attached to their arms and legs and strapped over their chests. Where do you get these ideas, Mr. Potter? A strange old shop! In Oxford! And I'm never... Shopping there, again. Thud. End Chapter 66 Thank you to the following people. Cedric Diggory, Anonymous. Neville, by Adam Hartel.
1: Hannah Abbott, Mars. Hermione Granger, Anonymous.
0: This chapter's original text, production notes, and attribution links along with archives and much more, can be found at hpmorpodcast.com. If you would like to learn more about the art of rationality, please visit lesswrong.com, an online community of aspiring rationalists founded by Eliezer Yudkowsky. The music used is Catch That Goblin by Skaven. Thank you for listening and come back next week for Chapter 67, Self-Actualization, Part 2.